Welcome to OCBC Insights, where we discuss the latest economic trends and developments. I'm Hong Wei, Credit Research Analyst from OCBC Bank. This year, we have seen the privatization of BreadTalk and potential privatization of Perennial from the Singapore Exchange. Both companies are bond issuers. Due to delisting, there will be certain implications for bondholders of these companies. In today's topic, I will talk about three W's when it comes to privatization. First, why do companies privatize? Second, what are repercussions for bondholders? Third, which areas should you pay attention to if you are a bondholder? Now on the first question, why do companies privatize? There's a few reasons usually, and I think one of the usual reasons is that there's going to be an upside by the offerer. Chances are the shares are undervalued. So for example, in Perennial's case, it was trading below half book. Even at the offer price, the price to book is a mere 0.6 times. And I think privatization for upside uh, happens in both good and bad times. And I think especially bad times like today because share prices are still somewhat depressed, making it cheap for companies to be privatized. The other key reason is that it will allow a management more flexibility. For example, management don't have to go through the approval and disclosure process uh, in order to get things done. It will be easier to restructure and reposition the company. For example, for Brad Talk, I think especially uh, COVID has impacted the operations of its bakery and restaurant segments such as Ting Tai Fung. So by keeping the company private, it will allow Brad Talk uh, to make changes more easily and to adapt better. The other reason is that there may be synergy with the offerer. The offerer does not necessarily have to be the controlling shareholder. For example, China Vanker was one of the consortium members which bought out global logistic properties back in 2017. China Vanker is one of the largest developers in China and it saw significant strategic fit with global logistic properties in the logistics properties sector. And of course, the reasons for privatizations are not exhaustive. Now, uh, if there's going to be a privatization, what are the repercussions for bondholders? Number one, the company will turn from a listed entity to a private one. And I think private companies are typically uh, worse off for the bondholder than listed ones. Uh, this is mainly because there's going to be a lack of timely update usually. For example, for companies listed on the Singapore Exchange, uh, they are required to make semi-annual uh, updates. Uh, and for private ones, I think uh, they usually uh, report, if any, on an annual basis. So aside from uh, results, listed companies also tend to disclose a lot more, uh, for example, if they are making a major acquisition or disposal. Next, I think listed companies tend to disclose a lot more material information also. So for example, in the annual reports, there's going to be a lot more details on uh, what's going on within all the numbers. However, this may not be necessarily so for private companies. Privatized companies also have a much freer hand to do things and uh, number one is that they are not subject to shareholder scrutiny. So a privatized company can choose to take on a lot more debt, sell away its core assets and the owners can choose to withdraw cash from the company. And all these I think are going to be negative for the bondholders. Next, for private companies, uh, especially if they are being privatized uh, by another uh, shareholder that's not really the controlling shareholder, sometimes this can be a negative, uh, especially if the new shareholder is going to be a weaker one. So in the sing dollar market, 
a lot of uh, bond issuers are Tomasic or JIC linked companies. You need to think of like Capitaland, Capital, MapleTree, and so on. So investors typically put a premium on such bonds. Once uh, such entity that you know investors attach a premium to was Global Logistic Properties, which was uh, previously about thirty-seven percent held by JIC. When news broke out that uh, there was going to be a potential by GIC, uh, its 2025 uh, USD notes dropped about 10 points from November 2016 to January 2017. So 10 points is about 10% in terms of uh, the price. Although the eventual buyout parties are quite decent and strong, actually, like China Vanker, which is one of the Chinese uh, biggest Chinese developers as I mentioned uh, there was also two uh, funds uh, CEO of uh, Global Logistic Properties and also an investment arm of Bank of China the price of the bond didn't really fully recover until uh, much later another example is uh, Neptune Orient Lines uh, used to be about 67% owned by Tamasic so when news broke out that Tamasic was selling its uh, 67% stick in NOL to CMACGM, uh, you know, even though CMACGM was one of the largest container liners in the world, uh, the, the the bonds uh, uh, fell so much in terms of more than thirty percent because uh, CMACGM's credit profile was a lot weaker than Tamasic. At OCBC Credit Research, we received numerous inquiries on NOL with concerns whether the bonds can be repaid due to its stretched liquidity, and of course, uh, the COVID situation has made the situation worse. I'll say maybe it's hang for NOL bondholders because CMACGM got about one billion euro dollar loan that's backed by the French government. So this has helped CMACGM greatly improve its short-term liquidity position. But as you know, this is, has been a really a uh, big roller coaster ride for CMACGM or NOL uh, bondholders. Fingers crossed, these bonds which are maturing this year should be repaid. Now, in terms of uh, bondholders for uh, companies that are potentially privatizing, which areas should you be focusing on? I think number one is that you should look out for protection in terms of covenants. There's a couple which can directly protect bondholders. The first being the delisting put, which you know when a company uh, delists, uh, it will grant the bondholders the option to require the company to redeem the bond. There's, the other one is uh, the change of control covenant is going to be similar to the listing put except that for this case is when the controlling shareholder changes the bondholders if they have the change of control put they will be able to uh, exercise the option to, to require the company to redeem the bond so if there's no delisting put, no change of control I think that other covenants uh, also can help to some extent so for example uh, financial covenants uh, just to give a somewhat recent example for CWT's case. When CWT was sold to CNA Group, uh, as you know, CNA Group is a weak shareholder. It resulted in the bond prices crashing by over 20% at one point in time. However, uh, we believe that financial covenants on CWT Group uh, at least somewhat mitigates this, uh, this impact on CWT bondholders. Uh, by preventing H&M from taking away too many assets on CWT itself. So the relevant covenants, uh, for example, required CWT to maintain at least a certain tangible net worth in the company and also having a, a net debt to a tangible net worth not exceeding a certain ratio. 
So as we know, eventually CWT's bonds were repaid. Now, given that so many SGD bonds are issued by thermostic-related entities, what should you do if the company doesn't have financial covenants or covenants protecting bondholders from delisting or change of ownership? While there could be certain investments uh, which are more strategic uh, by Thermasic, I think the divestment of, of NOL by Thermasic has shown that there is no secret cow in its investment portfolio. I think it is useful if bondholders look at the standalone credit profiles of these companies without Thermasic and assess if the reward or yield of the bonds commensurate with the risk still. So what if you happen to be the bondholder of one of the companies which is facing privatization? So as I mentioned, you know, you can think about the covenants and also the quality uh, and the credit profile of the offerer. In addition, it is useful to good, good to assess the chance of the privatization being a successful one. So for example, uh, you can look at how much stake the offerer already holds in the company, the higher, the better chance of privatization. The other one is in terms of the offer price, whether it is uh, much higher than the recent uh, trading price. And the third will be the conditions attached to the offer. If there are a lot of regulatory hurdles or too many conditions imposed by the offer, there may be a lower chance that privatization will succeed. So given that I've mentioned all this, uh, I hope that you have found this useful. If you are looking for specific updates, for example, on the privatization of Bradtown Perennial, you may Google for OCBC Credit Research and find my publication there. Stay tuned for our next credit podcast. Thank you. This has been a podcast from OCBC Bank. Follow us on Spotify for more episodes like the one you've just heard.